It seems for years upon years that the Republican Party has been a LARP, a live action roleplay, a demonstration of politics with nothing underneath. This was most notably the case under President Donald Trump. He had orders and orders of time to put actionable policy into place, to do something that would substantively fulfill some of the Republican platform. When he ran again, the Republican Party forgot about its platform, not publishing one at all. This was a death knell to the degree of American politics, or to the hope of American politics, at least on one side of the aisle. But now, maybe things are changing. In the past few weeks or past few months, Republicans have seemed to discover something. They've discovered that they can pass laws over legislatures and executive branches of states that they control. Huh. Interesting. And in doing so, they've actually put something on the line with regards to many of their previously only LARPed positions. Whether it's anything from quote-unquote critical race theory to abortion and all other types of culture war issues. They've finally realized, for once in their lives, that they can do something about the things that they claim to fear the most. Today, we're going to go through all of the ramifications of that, both on future elections, on the structure of the parties themselves, and the types of politics we engage in. Hi hi, welcome welcome, this is Metapol with me, Cactus. Demystifying politics, media, and culture for all who seek a rational way out. Alright, let's first look at the most obvious thing, which is... What is this going to mean for the midterms? What is this going to mean for the Republicans who wish to take back power and the Democrats who wish to keep it? At surface level, it seems fairly obvious that, at the very least, the more recent abortion restrictions passed in Texas will have severe negative impacts for the Republican Party. This is because the status quo under Roe v. Wade, essentially what we had previously, was something overwhelmingly favored by the American population, with uh, somewhere between 60 and 70% of the population in favor of that status quo, depending on what poll it was. It's already beginning to signal a shift towards the Democratic Party in the midterm approval ratings, although this is not necessarily going to last, and also the Democrats are still underwater, most likely because of other policies, such as Afghanistan. That was the situation only a few weeks ago, and while early polls, including one from Gallup, most recently show that the Democrats are still underwater, but maybe are catching up due to this policy change. Another very important point is that it creates a much more partisan environment, and here is one excellent example of how that works in practice let's look at the California recall. In the past few days, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom has been campaigning aggressively to reject the recall based on this abortion ban, or abortion restriction. Now, why is a governor in California talking about Texas's policy? Well, he's using it to attack the Republican candidate, or the leading Republican candidate, uh, Larry Elder. 
he in the past has talked about quite openly being pro-life and therefore supports some degree of abortion restriction, at least in theory. This attack isn't too honest though, because Larry Elder wouldn't actually have the power to pass any type of abortion restriction, at least not without the overwhelmingly Democratic legislature helping him out on that policy. What this means is that it's a very useful tactic for Gavin Newsom to distract from what the governor actually does have control over. And regardless of whether you support the governor or not, this is some type of politics that underweighs the actual decisions that can be made by the governor, most notably emergency measures. However, in practice, what this has seen is an, an, a greater increase in support for the incumbent governor, both in terms of all voters in California and also in terms of the likely voter model, which makes it so that he has a much better chance at staying in office. So, sorry Larry Elder, but Texas has got other plans. Let's look now at layer two, which is the structure of parties. I think it's actually an enormously great thing that we're starting to normalize, well, policy. We're starting to normalize taking action on the things that you're using immense rhetoric to drive out votes for. Of course, this is what you would expect from any functional country, and it is typically the status quo for almost all policies in other uh, developed countries. This creates a very different environment from one that we've had in the United States in the past few years. Most importantly, skin in the game. Here's what I mean. I've spoken about this in many previous episodes before. If you're able to perpetually drive out votes on issues that are either inactionable or that you will never take action on, then that creates no cycle of reinforcement, no cycle of self-correction for supporting policies that are not actually beneficial to anyone. In this view, regardless of whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, this is actually a good development because it means the ideas of political parties are actually going to be put to the test. If you think that overwhelmingly the voters will reject this idea, then what you would expect maybe lines up with what's happening right now. You get a democratic uh, retake, or you get a democratic uh, maintaining of the midterms of both the House and the Senate. You maybe have Gavin Newsom survive the California recall, and maybe you campaign on these abortion restrictions and you completely blow out the Republicans in the 2024 election as well. That would deal a death blow to many of the harshest and certainly some of the policies that are in Texas right now. If you're someone who is on the Republican side, who is on the pro-life side, then you would expect a re resounding rallying around this policy change. You would expect that the Republicans would overwhelmingly take the midterms and maybe even win the California recall. You would expect retaking of the presidency in 2024 while strongly talking about this policy change. In either case, you enter a politics that is less about simply signaling and more about doing what government is supposed to do.
Not only that, but this creates an upward pressure on the type of talent that you can expect in your actual policy making, uh, in your actual policy maker selection. What do I mean by this? I mean that when you are selecting for various legis for various legislators, there are different incentives or different skills that come into effect. One is campaigning, speaking to voters, creating ads, hiring a good team, etc. And another is policy, is drafting policies that are favorable, that are effective, and that give you a higher chance at re-election if favored by the people in your state, in your county, etc., etc. If we normalize the, this cycle of policy, what is expected of most governments, then you get much more of an emphasis on this policy passing. You get much more of a reward for politicians who are able to draft laws that work. And I think, at the very least, that's a good development. This pressure isn't also just external. It isn't also just between parties in terms of getting who wins. It's also something that happens internally, both in a party's own structure, where it invests its money, and also what gets media attention and what becomes salient within the party. Particularly in the Republican Party, in the past few years, there's been something that's been much uh, there's that's been much amplified uh, by Trump or by other uh, types of trends in maybe since the Tea Party era, and that's been exactly that kind of LARP that I already talked about in Layer One, the live action role play that results in supporting of ever more extreme policies without any intention of putting them in effect. That's because in many media sources. There's a bias towards extremes. There's a bias towards the most salient, the most angry, the most vicious, the most partisan. And that doesn't make for good governing. But if you have more of an expectation that senators, representatives, uh, state legislature, or governors is going to put the policy to the test, then you're going to see those policies, those extreme ones, fail, and fail by a rejection of their own party. This is something that is likely, this uh, abortion ban, for example, or abortion restriction, is something that's likely to cause at least some degree of Republican dissent if tried to pass at the national level. What does this mean for the salience of different issues in Republican politics or in party politics in general? It means that you get a de-escalation of exactly that rhetoric, because that rhetoric becomes tied with embarrassing, humiliating policy failures in practice. Finally, let's take a shift to the opposite side of the aisle, and let's talk about the Democratic Party. Of course, this curse of LARPing isn't just something that's been affecting the Republican Party alone. It's also affected the Democratic Party, and more so on the fringes than closer to the center. Of course, this isn't uniform. There are uh, senators or representatives who have been very policy-minded. Bernie Sanders comes to mind in terms of supporting things like universal health care. However, there's been, at the same time, much more of a development of rhetoric on the social aspect, particularly on social issues on the extreme left, much like mirroring the development of rhetoric on the extreme right. 
And what this has created is particularly in the most partisan uh, U.S. counties, much more of a pressure towards that same thing, towards extremism. Now, something that would be incredibly interesting was would be for various uh, various representatives to take those policies, to take those extreme policies to the test. And there's actually an incentive for centrists to do this. One incident that may be emblematic of this was when the Republicans attempted to pass a motion in the Senate to condemn defunding the police. Not only did the Democrats accept this uh, and voted unanimously for it, but also uh, gave rousing speeches thanking the Republican Party for giving them this opportunity to make it unequivocally clear where they stand. Of course, something similar didn't necessarily occur in the House, where you might have some more extreme fringes dissenting. But this type of action puts it very clear where the consequences are, and creates a reinforcement pressure that selects for those who are much less willing to engage in this hyperbolic rhetoric, that are less willing to go to the extremes. Now, if you're an extremist, this is probably an unfortunate thing. If you're not, then this is probably a good development for you and for uh, politics that give more kind of unity in the future. Layer 3. The evolution of LARP. Of course, we can't necessarily expect all types of uh, hyperbole, all types of dramatization to disappear wholesale. That's not what we're seeing in the Republican Party right now, and it's not what we saw in the Democratic Party once Biden took office and started actually looking to pass policies. Instead, you did have a shifting of ground underneath those who were seeking to, war to have more extreme rhetoric and to have that type of LARP without policy. This shift happened not in terms of their positions, but in terms of what issues that they focused on. Of course, you had the shift on the Republican side towards these more cultural issues. And on the Democratic side, they shifted away from maybe some of the cultural issues, but doubled down on many others. This, this actually often changed the nature of the claims they were trying to make. Instead of making claims that could be verified by policy, claims about solutions, claims about what to do, for example, defunding the police or Green New Deal on the left, or on the right, some of these more extreme cultural policies as well, you have more of a shift towards describing a problem, towards hyperbolically targeting a problem, such as painting orders and orders of magnitude more of police shootings than actually exist, there was a poll by Skeptic Magazine and Ipsos, I believe, is the polling group that worked with them. Uh, that I am not completely sure on that. I may look it up and fix that in the show notes. But essentially, the scenario that occurred was that I believe those self-identifying as being uh, Democratic or in the Democrat part or in the Democratic Party saw themselves and saw the expected number of police killings in a year of African Americans as either 1,000 or more. 
sorry, there were 60% that saw it as 1,000 or more. There were, I believe, 30% who saw it as 10, uh, or sorry, let me repeat that, 60% for 1,000 or more, including the categories above it, and then around 15% for 10,000 or more. And for context, the Washington Post found that there were 19, and the total number of African Americans uh, killed, uh, or sorry, murdered, is around 15,000. So, enormous hyperbole has enormous consequences. This, of course, is not an exclusively left-wing problem. The most obvious example there is Stop the Steal, the uh, movement that claimed that there was election fraud, providing very little, if any, evidence for it whatsoever. And this kind of issue, fabricated essentially from whole cloth, still ranks between 30% and 50% among the Republican Party, in terms of self-identified Republicans who still support it. This ability to craft narratives and to craft issues out of whole cloth that are essentially irreconcilable, that are essentially not questions about policy, not questions about what would actually be good, but questions about what exists in reality, are, of course, not very easy to assess with policy. So they avoid this skin in the game, they avoid the reinforcement that would occur if we actually normalized passing everything that was on the table. So you can see more of a shift happening right now in real time towards exactly those types of issues and exactly those types of narratives. What makes matters worse is that because these are so based on making false factual claims, uh, false claims about the nature of things in real life, then there is much more of a pressure towards media enforcement. In other words, towards putting active pressure on partisan and even some uh, supposedly nonpartisan media outlets to echo many of these narratives, whether they come from the extreme left or the extreme right. This selection mechanism creates much more of an incentive to even further polarize media, which we saw post-election with extreme outlets, very blatantly partisan outlets, such as Newsmax or One American News, and that we've been seeing iteratively with, uh, with even more established outlets adopting fairly strict cultural policies or fairly partisan cultural policies. This, of course, amplifies one of the cycles that we talked about previously, which is the asymmetric polarization. Essentially, to summarize, you have this strange predicament where Republicans are much more likely to start new institutions, to go off and create something on their own, whereas Democrats are much more likely to attempt to influence an existing organization or an existing institution. And of course, media is no exception. When the weight of uh, these types of narratives, these types of false claims, becomes even more dominant, as is the case right now, then you can expect this prevalence or you can expect this tactic to gain more prevalence. So, what is the impact on this for our overall outlook of politics? I think in many degrees, it's positive. 
in many degrees, the precedent this sets is one that has many positive influences for those, particularly those who are running for office, particularly those who are interested in gaining elected office, gaining political power, and most importantly, those who are near the top, the executives, the president, the governors, etc. Of course, it's not without consequences. That's the shift towards polarization over truth claims, these kind of alternate realities that extreme partisans try to set up. However, I think the weight of the first is much more influential than the weight of the second, at least in the current circumstances. So maybe that's a reason to be optimistic. If you liked this episode, then please give it a share. Uh, give Follow me on social media at, uh, at meta underscore pol on Twitter. And just give me some feedback on the show. And of course, give the only thing or give the thing that only you can give, which is a recommendation to someone who you know. That is maybe the one thing that I would most appreciate you doing for the show, since, of course, I don't take any contributions. I'm not intending to make any money off of this show. However, thank you all for listening, and until next time, goodbye.